One of the crucial words in our general subject is the word experience or experiencing Christ. So we need to have a very clear spiritual understanding of what we are talking about. Human beings in their soul, in their psychology, are having experiences all the time. They're feeling things, reacting to things, enjoying the things. So all of those are inward experiences. But we don't want that to carry over in our understanding of what it means to experience Christ. So let's begin this way, with an utterance used by our brother Nee in one of his messages. And the utterance is this, the history of Christ becomes the experience of a Christian. So Christ, in carrying out God's economy, passed through incarnation, then human living in a very particular environment and family and the work he did. Then he lived because of the Father expressing him. Then he was baptized and ministered publicly, caring for people and training those that would carry out his move. Then at the age of 33 and a half, he was willing to do the Father's will that was for him to die on the cross, an all-inclusive death. Then he was resurrected with a glorified body, but he also became the life-giving spirit to enter into us. And his resurrection leads to ascension and to his enthronement, where he as the God-man was given all authority in heaven and on earth. All that Christ is, all that Christ accomplished, and all that Christ experienced in all of these stages are included in the all-inclusive, life-giving spirit. Amen. And this spirit is in our spirit, mingled with our spirit, to be one spirit. So to experience Christ means that the spirit in our spirit, with our cooperation, makes a specific aspect of Christ's person, character, living, virtues, ministry, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. It's all in the spirit. Experience is absolutely a matter of the spirit 
in our spirit. And so, we are entering into what Christ already experienced. From another point of view, what Christ passed through and what he accomplished is, through the Spirit, applied to us. And it becomes real to us. And eventually we understand what is happening in us. So this is not a vague term, experiencing Christ. But what is that? So I repeat, it is the Spirit applying to us an aspect of Christ's history. Because we should not be trying to have so-called experiences apart from Christ's history, process, and consummation. For instance, it would be absurd to the uttermost for you to want to experience the cross by going through some kind of suffering. But there are extreme religious groups that actually nail people to crosses. It's such a demonic deceit. And so the all-inclusive, life-giving spirit in us, the more we are in our spirit, walking according to the spirit, then the more opportunity the spirit has to bring to our realization an aspect of Christ. And another element is, in almost all situations, this takes place in an environment sovereignly arranged by God. And we have to admit, many environments, many forms of human suffering are not only difficult, they're heart-rending. But this is part of our human life. So the, the Spirit might give a brother who is serving or a sister who is serving in a certain way a touch with the energizing power of Christ's resurrection. But eventually, we will all have real death experiences, profound losses. We're not exempt from these. But what is, to me, the saddest thing and also the most encouraging thing is the way I have observed saints passing through experiences like this. Some go through trial after trial, suffering after suffering, and they come through, I shouldn't say exactly the same, they're not exactly the same, because now their self 
is stronger. On the other hand, there are those in the midst of the situation, deep within, are open to the Lord. And because they are open, the Spirit begins to apply the reality of Christ's resurrection. So let me stay with resurrection for a moment, although the message will be on the cross. Resurrection is a promise for the future. We will all be resurrected. Resurrection is a person, Christ himself. And resurrection is a process of life conquering death. And as soon as death strikes a believer, the process of resurrection is activated. Well, one of the elements in the all-inclusive life-giving spirit is the power and effectiveness of the cross of Christ crucified. And the title of the message is The Cross of Christ, God's Unique Way in His Economy and the Center of His Government. We'll expound this a little more later. Now I want to point out that we have an all-inclusive Christ. It is, to our spiritual advantage, that we not be selective. We simply would be open to the Lord everywhere, all the time, to what he wants us to experience here and now. We just open to him. And that gives the all-inclusive life-giving spirit the way to apply a specific aspect of Christ's history to us. So we need to realize that Christ is really all or nothing. He's not a person that you can say, I, I, I like this part, I don't like that part. He is an all-inclusive, extensive person. And our Father knows, and the Lord knows, and the Spirit knows what we need to experience at any given moment. And now we will emphasize there are two aspects of Christ's history that are intimately woven with his person. So Paul calls him Christ crucified. We cannot separate the cross from Christ and say, I just want to enjoy Christ 
I don't want to take this hard way, the costly way. I just want the Lord to bless me. Uh, this is self-interest to the uttermost. So before I go further on the cross, I want to tell you a story, just part of my human history, that I think will help open up our understanding little by little. We'll get to the outline eventually. In a Thursday in February 1987, I began to experience exceedingly severe pain in my midsection and lower back. And by early evening, it had reached such a point that it was truly, you know, absolutely unbearable. So I'm thankful that brother, doctor, Rick Scatterday was also living in Irving. So I called him and he came and he checked my pulse and the heart rate was very slow. This combined with the level of pain led to his decision, I'm bringing you to the ER immediately. So I will call the hospital, let them know we're coming. So they brought me there, and then they committed me to the cardiac care in case that was the situation. Now, deep within, in, in the intuition of my spirit, I knew what the problem was. And I'm not going to be a doctor to myself. I knew it was the gallbladder. But they conducted the tests, the sonogram, indicated no problem with the gallbladder. But the next day, well into the night, things are worsening. And the temperature is very high. So Rick realized, I must call a surgeon at midnight. So he came at my bedside and explained to me what he needed to do. And he could only do it with my consent. And he said, we will, you need to give us the permission to go in at the site of the appendix. That might be the problem. Then you must agree that I can carry out exploratory surgery to find out the cause. And so I realized this pain and the high temperature are symptoms. And we don't know what the problem is, but the only option is die or agree to surgery. So I agreed. When I woke up uh, in the first room they put you in, I was told it was the gallbladder. 
It was gangrenous. It was infective. It was ready to burst. If that had happened, you would have died. So then I needed to stay in the hospital for quite a period of time, not drinking anything, not eating anything. Then one night, pancreatitis set in, although I didn't know what it was. But the Lord brought me through that. And then eventually, after a lengthy stay, I was released. And then when I'm of necessity can't work for a couple of weeks, in the quiet of the morning, I was alone with the Lord. So I inquired, Lord, what, what happened? And I realized two things at once. The first is, this was the governmental hand of God on my life. Not a punishment, but a governmental dealing. And I knew to some extent the truth from First Peter, because the ministry opened First Peter, and our attitude toward the government of God is to be humbled under his hand. Just be humbled. So I took that position. Then I realized the second. Then he gives grace. Now this I tell you in some detail As an illustration, the only solution was surgery cutting into me. I have a tendon scar gradually fading after the decades as a remembrance. I would liken that to Christ being the physician and as a physician, he's an expert surgeon. And it is a blessing to see under the divine light that God solves all problems by the cross. And the cross is for termination and elimination, not merely for suffering. The suffering will be there. <coughs> so Paul, as part of his experience and part of his pattern, he said things like this in 1 Corinthians 1.18. The word of the cross is to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God in the New Testament as far as I know only three things are called the power of God the word of the cross the gospel and Christ himself 
It is the power of God applied to any negative thing and any problem. Then in verse 23, he says, We preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. In one other verse, chapter 2, verse 2, For I did not determine to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and this one crucified. So recently, reading through the Gospel of Mark, I was just touched again concerning the price the Lord Jesus paid on our behalf. When he was in Gethsemane, he told the three apostles with him, my soul is sorrowful, even unto death. He was in agony, exercised to inquire, is it possible for that cup to be taken away? And he asked the father, Father, can the cup be taken away? But not my will, but your will be done. And the father's will was that his son would die after being on the cross for six hours. So when they are in another scene, When a crowd comes and he's being arrested, Peter tries to interfere. And the Lord said, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Then he's on the cross. They're mocking him, ridiculing him, reviling him. They said, Come down from the cross and we'll believe in you. But he didn't come down. Then they said he saved others. He can't save himself. When I read that, I just want to worship him. Thank you, Lord, for not saving yourself. Thank you for saving us. Now, when someone who is not yet a believer is under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they've received a testimony to some believers or heard a gospel message, and the Spirit, according to John 16, is convicting of sin. And this one realizes the weight of your sins on you and how you are under the judgment of the righteous God and the wages of sin is death. And then you realize the problem of all your sins was satisfied when Jesus died on the cross. 
the cross satisfied the righteous requirement of God. Christ paid the price for us, so God is free to release us. So here at the very beginning, we see that this dreadful problem of perishing eternally because of dying in our sins, in unbelief. And God must be holy and righteous. He cannot deny what he is. Then do we not declare the effectiveness of the cross? Do we not treasure the crucified Christ? So this is somewhat analogous, comparable to my realization. I'm very sick. There's a serious problem. I need surgery. Now, in order for us to advance in the growth in life and in the experience of Christ, we need to realize two things that go together. We need to realize ways or matters concerning us personally that can only be solved by the cross. If you're not aware that the flesh is a lifelong problem, if you're not aware of the self, then you won't have the slightest interest in the cross operating here. It seems frightening to you. I don't want to suffer. I won't take the time to read in Matthew 16. Peter got the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. The Lord spoke to him concerning the church. And then the Lord said, I need to go to Jerusalem. I will be judged. I will be put to death. And on the third day, I will arise. Then Peter took aside the one whom he just declared was the son of God and said this will not happen to you I disagree with this no and then the Lord turned and said to Peter get behind me Satan so Satan is here coming out of Peter then the Lord said, your mind is not set on the things of God, but on the things of men. Now your mind is a problem. And then he said, you need to take up the cross, deny the self. Now the self is a problem. And then the Lord said, you need to be willing to lose your soul life. So there was something in Peter and there's something in us. 
that is a combination of our mind, our soul life, our self, and Satan. This we call the self. The self, like I mentioned this morning, is what hinders us from knowing the Lord, experiencing the Lord, enjoying the Lord, growing in the Lord. But even more serious, it's the enemy of the body of Christ. Well, Peter got a colossal exposure. And after Peter denied the Lord the third time with cursing, he received insight into what he was. He wasn't the hero who would go to prison with the Lord. He wouldn't die with the Lord. He denied him. But this is like a patient at midnight in unbearable pain being told, this is your situation. If you don't let us operate, you will die. If you let us operate, we will heal you. We will heal you. And so in order for us to really grow in life, which means that the element of God increases, the stature of Christ increases, the ground given to the Holy Spirit increases, something must diminish. The self must be denied. In the book, The Heavenly Vision, Brother Lee has a message entitled The Vision of the Self. And it's somewhat comparable to being convicted of sins. Now you realize the sins were my behavior. Now I realize the problem is with my being, with my person. My person is wrong. Then Now we turn to another side. Paul shows us something. And this is important now, the sequence that will come up now, because this will lead, open the way for experience. In Romans 6, 6, Paul said, we know that our old man was crucified with Christ. He didn't say, we believe. He said, we know. And the old man is the totality of our fallen nature, including our disposition, which is the depths of the self, and peculiarities. But the entire old man along with every negative thing in the universe 
including the devil himself, was dealt with by the cross of Christ. So Paul realized this. In Galatians 2.20, he said, with Christ, I have been crucified. So the first step is, Romans 6, 6, Galatians 2.20 need to become living words in us. And I realize in the sight of God all the ugly things I'm becoming aware of in me right now were dealt with when my old man was crucified. But we may understandably think that was 2,000 years ago. Now I'm here. Okay. Granted. In Hebrews 9, 14, Paul tells us that Christ offered himself to God through the eternal spirit. His dying on the cross was carried out in the eternal spirit and the effectiveness and the power of his death became elements added to the compound spirit. As, right? It's typified by the ointment. Now the effectiveness of Christ's death is in the eternal spirit. And the Spirit is God reaching us. God being experienced by us in Christ. And so if I'm aware of something in me, it's been exposed. I have to call it what it is. It's the self. Okay? No excuse. It's the self. But I'm under a vision. This part of my old man died, when Christ died. The effectiveness of that death is an element in the all-inclusive spirit. Now, what do I need to do? I deny the self. That means I say, no, I'm not staying here. I got here. When I said that, when I reacted that way, this is myself. I'm not staying here. No. Then I take up the cross. How do you do that? The cross is in the spirit. So we simply call on the Lord and the all-inclusive life-giving spirit replies and applies to that self the effectiveness of the cross of Christ. And it's gone. I don't have the right to talk about other people's experiences when they're personal, so I share another one, a real basic learning experience. In 1969, I heard Brother Lee for the first time <coughs> speak about the compound spirit, the anointing with all the spices, and then the interpretation, the effectiveness of Christ's death is here. 
And then I had a surprising experience. Uh, I was jealous of a brother in the church. I was jealous. He was asked to do something, and we were closely related. I thought, yes, but why didn't they include me? And I was shocked. I'm jealous. I thought only women were jealous. <laughs> but I am jealous. This is jealousy. So this is what I said to the Lord. This is the language of a beginner, okay? But I'm not ashamed of being a beginner. I said, Lord, Brother Lee said that the effectiveness of your death is in the compound spirit. So I'm going to test this. Right now, I wish to apply the compound spirit, the all-inclusive spirit, with the death of Christ to this jealousy. And it was killed. And it didn't hurt. I didn't shriek in terror. It was such a relief. And so this is the solution. But see, we have to realize the need. And that requires light from the Lord in our fellowship with him. Please don't go searching for it this evening. Don't try to hunt out things. Don't come to the Lord asking him to show you all kinds of things. Just come to him, loving him, enjoying him, and then let him determine when he should enlighten you. And so many of you can testify. Be honest. Don't be religiously humble. As soon as the light comes, you agree with it. You agree with it spontaneously. And you confess. The Greek word for confess is homologeo, speak the same thing. So the Lord is saying something. Your attitude was wrong. I say, Lord, my attitude was really wrong. I confess. And so if we want to mature in, this, in our lifetime, and if we want to be rich, increasingly rich in the experience of the all-inclusive Christ, and have a joy that we've never known before, we need to have an, the attitude of willingness to take this way. There was a dear brother he was about 10 years older than I. I'd already been in the Lord's recovery a couple years before I came in 1966. And he had a, a rather strong and unusual disposition. And finally, he just out and out acknowledged it. He said, I reject the cross. He admitted that this was his attitude. So no one could touch him. You touch him, he would explode. Because he was not willing to take the cross. He was driving on the street, 
and someone was making a, a perpendicular turn in front of him, he could have just stopped, but he deliberately let his car ram into the other car because that driver was wrong. And then he said, he was dear, I loved him. But then in 88, 89, he left. Then he finished his course and he never matured. And so what's in my heart, and I'm not trying to be sentimental, because I love you, my sisters and brothers, I love you and labor for you. I want you all to be mature before you meet the Lord and to be deep and rich in the experience of Christ and to have more joy than you ever imagined. So now I need to cover one more thing, then we'll go through the outline. And um, I got my own little clock here, and I'm in the allocated time because I want much response. Okay. Enjoying the Lord is primarily in the soul. The soul is the organ of enjoyment and of expression. And when I was 19, something deeply, traumatically hurtful happened to me. Even though I was a believer, I made a strong decision with a strong will regarding two things. I said, two things do not exist. The first is love, and the other is joy. Only superficial, shallow people have joy. If you, if you probe the depths of the absurdity of human life and its suffering, how can you have joy? Then regarding love, my thought was, people only love the image of Ron Kangas. You get to know the person, the love is gone. And I don't blame you for not loving me. I'm not sure I love me either, you know. <laughs> and so I said, okay, there's no love. I'll settle for respect. And forgive me for saying this. I said, then I'll just display my intellect. I'll keep you at a distance, but you'll respect me. But now I'm in the church life at a meeting in Los Angeles, and we're singing a hymn. And my attitude changed toward love. Come and rejoice with me, for I, once so sick at heart, have met with one who knows my case and knows the healing art. Come and rejoice with me, for I have found a friend who knows my heart's most secret depths, yet loves me without end. Then love became real. And now 1 John 4, 19 is real. We love 
because he first loved us. But joy was basically lacking. And even when I pondered Romans 14, 17, it says the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I stopped at peace. Joy in the Holy Spirit? What is that? Okay, righteous. Okay, I'll exercise for righteousness. Then I'll just stop at peace. But then I heard something. Something Brother Washmani wrote to a relative shortly before he passed away. And he had to write in a kind of code. And he said this, I have maintained my joy. My goodness. He'd already suffered for decades physically in every other kind of way. <coughs> he's there for 20 years. On one level, he's suffering. On another level, he never lost his joy. And I had to repent, having a change of mind. No, no. The deepest spiritual people are those who know to have joy in the Lord. And in Philippians, I kind of like to do this. Think of Philippians. Is Philippians a book of joy or sorrow? Almost everyone will say joy. Paul says rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. And the joy is real. But then he mentioned, you heard about Epaphroditus, that he was sick. He was sick unto death, but God had mercy on him and on me <coughs> so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. And the Lord healed him that I would be less sorrowful. I appreciate this because in the midst of his situation, that on one level there's sorrow, at a deeper level, there's joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. We cannot cover this in this conference, but I especially appreciate something Peter wrote about Christ in 1 Peter 2. He referred to him as the overseer and shepherd of our soul. He's not a spy. He's not working for the heavenly, you know, intelligence. But he's just observing us from within with the heart to care for us. He knows what we're feeling, what we're going through. And then he shepherds our soul to adjust our soul so we're able to enjoy the Christ we are experiencing. And someone is very much in the mind, reasoning about things, or someone is just in a mood, and the mood is raining for a period of time, joy is gone. Your mind kills it. Your mood kills it. Or your will is set in a certain way. You're going to do this no matter what. 
So the Lord doesn't judge. He gently shepherds your soul to bring it in harmony so your soul can be the organ of enjoyment. Okay, now with all this, it's a message in itself. We'll go through the outline because the underlying thought is the cross of Christ, God's unique way. I think many of you have learned this. You don't negotiate with God. He doesn't negotiate. He terminates. And the answer to any problem is the cross terminating. So if a husband and wife, I'll use a kind of euphemism, are having an animated conversation, let's just say a war of words, um, there's just an argument there. And then the brother, the husband, he's a man, he realizes, I'm, I'm, I'm losing this argument, and I will never lose an argument to a woman. His, his pride is too much, and so he changes the ground rules. That's all you need is one person to stop and realize, I'm in the flesh. I'm in the self. I admit, myself kind of enjoys fighting like this. Our self is really perverted. And you say, no. I don't know about you. I leave you to you. I'm stopping. I'm letting the cross apply. The problem solved. Even if the other party keeps provoking, you don't respond. You can't respond. You've been terminated. Say whatever you want. I, I'm just here. I'm not, not going to put a spiritual grin on my face to provoke you more. I'm just here. Um, I, I am responsible for my part. I was in the flesh. I was in the self. And the fact is, we can stop anytime. Anytime. We can call on the Lord anytime. And the same thing in the church. I got an email, a lengthy email today from a coworker about a certain church and a brother in the church who's been a leading brother. And he is withdrawn and he's not happy. And outwardly, he seems to have issues about this conference, the way it was handled. We shouldn't have done it this way and that way. We should have done it this way. But I know him and I realize some of the, the brothers might have made mistakes in what they decided to do. But the problem is your disposition. I don't, right now, I, I don't have the ground to tell him. You know, if someone's going to explode, you better just back off. But he has to realize the problem is not everybody else. It's not that they changed the nature of the conference. I'm the one having this reaction, and it's my disposition. Then I would add, you want honest fellowship, brother to brother? Okay, I've been through this. I've had this illness. That's why I went to Brother Lee and asked him to touch my disposition. Please deal with it. 
I said, brother, you are now 48. You're not only in your disposition. Your disposition is worsening with age. And I, I can't do what only you can do. You have to be willing to receive light on your situation. And then to allow the cross to deal with you. <coughs> then you're at peace. As far as it depends on you, you are in peace. Paul mentions that in Romans 12. As far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. But we can't control someone else. Some people, honestly, they're unreasonable. But we can thoroughly clear up something and be at peace. So this is the only way. There's no politics. There's no diplomacy in the Lord's recovery. Brotherly hated politics. I hate politics. God does not negotiate. He's not a politician. He doesn't bargain. He just points you, this is the way. And also the way of God's government. So I don't want to go into detail or stir up unnecessary concern. But in certain places, a rebellion is taking place. And the rebellion is attacking God's government, God's authority, and those who represent God's government. And God has no other way of governing than by applying the cross to this situation. That's why way back in 1987, the Lord showed me, as Brother Lee had pointed out in the life study, there are certain things that only God can do with us. Ministry can't do it. Fellowship can't do it. We can't do it. And the Lord showed me this was the thing. This whole matter was a governmental arrangement. I don't, I'm not angry at you, but I must judge this. And I must terminate this. And I must make it clear this will never happen again. It cannot happen again because I killed it at the root. I just worship the Lord for this. I just thank him. As I'm fond of saying, sometimes I give retroactive amens, belated thank yous and hallelujahs. So I may say afterwards, once you're through it, you see the benefit. Then you may pray like this. I think I'm not the only one. Lord, thank you for giving me this experience. I pray it will never happen again. And the Lord might indicate it won't happen again. Other things will happen. And I said, okay, okay, you're God with the government. I don't want to resist you. I want to be humbled under your hand and receive grace. I don't want to go through this for a thousand years. I'd like you to gain me now, not just for my own reward, for the recovery. 
for the saints. Okay. Now we see what's the cross, aspects of the cross revealed in Colossians. In maybe 20 minutes or so. The points speak for themselves. And I don't set aside the outline. I wrote the outline. But when it comes to speak, we need to be one with the present moving of the Spirit. And I think maybe that's been taking place for the last 50 minutes or so. But let's read through this. I'll read it to you. In his economy, God gives us one person in one way. The one person is the all-inclusive, extensive, preeminent Christ. And the one way is the cross. <coughs> we not only have Christ, the unique person who is versus all things, we also have the cross, the unique way, which is versus all ways. And we have worked out ways of dealing with things, ways of surviving. Some even boast by saying, I'm a survivor. But the cross is versus all ways. So simple. The one person, Christ, is the center of the universe. And the one way, the cross, is the center of God's government. There's a need for all of us to realize this. There's a burden, especially in the United States, where the culture is so degraded, and the influence of the spirit of the age and the mind of young brothers and sisters is so prevailing. They need to know God as God. And that God has a government based on his authority. Don't play with it. And he carries out his government by the cross. God governs everything by the cross and deals with everything by the cross. So here's the problem. Within a person, in a relationship, in the church, and God says, the cross, I will apply the cross. And sometimes when it's really complicated and the brothers need to go there, not to lord it, but to serve, and we point out, don't get in right and wrong. Actually, everybody's wrong. We're all wrong. Let's let the cross work. Peace will be restored. Two, by the cross, God has dealt with all the negative things in the universe. The devil knows he's been destroyed. I love telling him. You have been destroyed. The man Jesus destroyed you on the cross. You're harassing me. You're going to the abyss, then to the lake of fire. Shut your lying mouth. Stop accusing this one. The whole body will rise up to fight against you. A man defeated you. And we, the wife, are going to carry out. We will execute the judgment and the victory. We're still in preparation, but the time is coming. Ah. What a humiliation to him for a woman to exercise God's judgment and Christ's victory over that creep.
Three, in order to progress spiritually, we need to pass through the cross until we come to the New Jerusalem. I gave a conference last week in Austin about God's purpose being fulfilled by the overcomers in the recovered church, the church in Philadelphia. And if we're in the recovered church, you may become the New Jerusalem in your lifetime. Read Revelation 3.12. You're a pillar in the temple of God. And so you reach the point by the time the Lord comes, you don't need the cross anymore because you allowed it a thoroughfare in your being. Four, in order to have the proper church life, we need to experience the cross. If we have a daily life of passing through the cross, there will be oneness and harmony both in the church life and in the family life. And harmony is an atmosphere. You can just sense it. I don't check out anything in the saint's home. I don't spy. But the atmosphere is the atmosphere. And if there's harmony, the peace is there. If there's harmony in the church, it's in the atmosphere. Two, in the book of Colossians, we see a clear vision of the cross as God's way in his administration. Then we have four quotations. A, through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross through him, whether the things on earth or the things in the heavens. Through him means through Christ as the active instrument through which the reconciliation has been accomplished. Sinners need forgiveness. But we're not only sinners, we were enemies. Enemies need reconciliation. <coughs> and the cross does this. And it's beautiful to see reconciliation lived out in a church, in a marriage, in relationships, in our life with the Lord. Just this sense, there's no more resistance in my being. The cross has made me one with you, dear Lord. All things refers not only to human thing, beings, but to all creatures which were created in Christ and now subsist in him and are reconciled to God through him. Three, to reconcile all things to himself is to make peace for himself for all things. This was accomplished through the blood of the cross of Christ. The basic condition, inward condition of our daily Christian life should be calm and peace. And Brother Lee uses this expression, the Christian life is the life of ordinary days under the divine dispensing. 
And so in our contact with the Lord, we exercise whatever we need to. We apply him as the offerings. We receive his forgiveness. We experience the cleansing of his blood, the washing of his life. And we're just calm within. And now we have a solid basis to experience him and enjoy him. Four, because of the rebellion of Satan, the archangel, and the angels who followed, the heavens were contaminated. Therefore, not only things on the earth, but also things in the heavens needed to be reconciled to God because we were sinners, we needed redemption. And because we were enemies, we needed reconciliation. So again, in order to appreciate reconciliation, you need to know that once you were an enemy, and the Lord has to show us, our flesh is an enemy of the spirit. Our self is an enemy of Christ. The world is an enemy of the Father. So the Lord would like to reconcile us. He wants to apply the cross that we may just live personally, relationally, corporately, in harmony, in peace, and calm. And our inner being is just poised and open for the spirit to move. KB, <laughs> wiping out the handwriting in ordinances, which was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. All the ordinances, legalities in the various cultures that people have war over. No, you must live this way. You must eat that way. You can't eat that. You must wear this. You must da 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 And there's enmity because of culture. And the ordinances related to that. So ordinances refers to the ordinances of the ceremonial law with its rituals, which are the forms or ways of living and worship. And it's possible for religion to creep in and ordinances to follow. I don't want to give an illustration, but I'll just refer in a general way. Someone may say, uh, uh, you should not wear these, a woman should not wear these kind of clothes. They should only wear dresses and whatever. Then that becomes a legality. Just that can be divisive. Then we impose them on others. Nailing it to the cross means to abolish the law of commandments in ordinances. So Paul was released from all this. No more dietary restrictions. He could eat uh, pork roast. Um, he told Timothy, I don't know if this applies, I think it does, that's why I'm mentioning it. He said, Timothy, 
you have a lot of stomach troubles, don't just drink water. Take a little wine. I think if I sent an email to a brother and said, take a little wine for your stomach, I think there might be outrage. <laughs> so uh, don't worry, I won't do it. Then C is how the enemy was dealt with. Stripping off the rulers and authorities, <coughs> he made a display of them openly, triumphing over them in it. This took place, this, port this verse portrays the fighting that took place at the time of Christ's crucifixion. See, during the first three hours, the enemy was laughing. But then in the second three hours, when all the sins were laid on Christ and he was made sin for us, and Christ is crucifying every negative thing, the enemy woke up. I'm being wiped out. So many powerful principalities and powers pressed in on Christ on the cross, trying to interfere, trying to stop this victory over them. But instead, he and God as one just stripped them off like clothes and made a display of them openly. And so we can just tell the principalities and powers over this part of the earth. You have been defeated already on the cross of Christ. We know this because this is the word also. You are in the air. We are looking down from you from the third heavens and we remind you the cross defeated you. Amen. Two, activities involving Christ, God, and the evil angelic rulers and authorities were brought to a focus on the cross. Thus the cross became God's eternal, central, and unique way. So the battle was here. So now it's the enemy's kingdom that is being destroyed in every way. This really equips us to learn the prayers of warfare and prayers with authority. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Our crucified Jesus defeated the enemy's kingdom. By his crucifixion, Christ labored to accomplish redemption, and God the Father was working to judge sin and nail the law to the cross. At the same time, the evil rulers and authorities were busy in their attempt to frustrate the work of God and Christ, pressing in close to God and Christ, thus a warfare was raging at the cross. No one could see this. But Paul was given the vision of this. And he wrote about it. There was a warfare there. That's where the battle was won. And it's those who are learning to experience the crucified Christ, they can be the soldiers, the warriors in the Lord's army. Brother Nee says, Based upon Revelation 12, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, 
They did not love their soul life unto death. The enemy fears only one kind of person, someone who does not love his soul life. Now, he has no ground. You can't touch him. You can't touch her. She does not love herself. Something has happened in her. She loves the Lord. She loves God. She loves the church. She loves the saints more than her own life. These are the overcomers. I used to wonder, how can this be? How can I ever not love my soul life? But then I found out eventually, like everything else, it's so simple. On one hand, I just let Christ with his love increase. On the other hand, let the Lord expose the soul life and let the cross be applied to it. So now I'm learning. I'm still learning. I'm still in training. Maybe officer training, but it's still in training. I'd like to walk in the footsteps of Paul, of John, of Brother Nee, of Brother Lee, and learn not to love the soul life. Unto death. And this is the issue of this kind of experiences. Because the Lord must have this army that can engage the enemy like this. Every soldier will be brought to this point. God openly made a display of the evil angelic rulers and authorities on the cross and triumphed over, over them in it, putting them to shame. Now the last point. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision not made with hands. In the putting off of the body of the flesh, in the circumcision of Christ. So when you enter the third stage of the experience of life, the Spirit will show you what the flesh is. It's the living out of the old man. And he will show you again and again and again until you have a thorough view. Then you will agree with God's way to deal with it. And you will realize this flesh was already dealt with when Christ was on the cross. Now the Spirit applies this to me so I can be in the Spirit. This is spiritual circumcision. The circumcision of Christ referring to the proper baptism which puts off the body of the flesh by the effectual virtue of the death of Christ. The circumcision that is putting off of the body of the flesh was accomplished by the death of Christ. <coughs> and it is applied, executed, and carried out by the Spirit. Christ accomplished the all-inclusive crucifixion. Now we apply it to our flesh by faith through the Spirit. So may you receive the mercy to receive light concerning anything in your being that needs the cure of the cross. And this is, every time this happens, the enemy loses ground in you. He wants to keep you in darkness. 
He doesn't want you to know the flesh, the self, the natural life. But we are children of light. We walk in the light. We love the light. God is light. Let the light shine in my whole being. So the enemy has no place to hide. Then everything is brought into the light and then the cross terminates every negative thing. Then the experience and enjoyment of Christ gets higher and higher, broader and deeper. There's just no end to this. So please don't fear the cross. Say amen to the cross. Amen to the crucified Christ. Amen. You have the best physician, the best surgeon in your spirit. Amen. Just let him minister to you. Let him touch everything that's hindering you, no matter what it is. And you will be surprised between now and the end of this year. In the, what, five, four months remaining. Between now and the end of this year. Christ will increase in you. Your experience will expand. Your enjoyment will increase. You'll be happier than you've ever been in the, your Christian life. Amen. Praise the Lord for the crucified Christ. <coughs> so please pray for a minute. Then the brothers will direct the speaking.